Electromagnetic energy is a fundamental part of our universe. Humans discovered ways to use this energy for many purposes, from radio to TV, smartphones to Wi-Fi, the list goes on. But electromagnetic energy also influenced another major sector, military operations. Along came the Crows, people who learned electromagnetic energy, applied it to military combat operations, and forever impacted modern warfare. Introducing the History of Crows podcast. The History of Crows will take you through the global history of electromagnetic warfare and electromagnetic spectrum operations, from the earliest scientific discoveries to modern military operations around the world. The history of electromagnetic warfare dates back to the second half of the 19th century. In previous episodes of The History of Crows, we look back at the life of physicist James Clerk Maxwell, who is credited with the early understanding of the existence and principles of electromagnetic waves. In the early 20th century, Marconi harnessed this knowledge and applied it to early techniques of signals intercept on telegraph systems to advance the use of wireless communications. From the first use of radio jamming in 1902 to the first large-scale use of electromagnetic warfare in World War II, the advances were carried from one conflict to another. Each new technique led to a counter-technique, or countermeasure, to protect communication systems and later early radar. Today, we continue to tout the necessity of EW for mission success and saving lives in 21st century warfare, due in large part to a small cadre of EW operators from World War II and the Korean War. They wanted to form a group to advocate for electronic warfare, and this group called themselves the Association of Old Crows, or AOC. In this episode of The History of Crows, we look back at the founding of the AOC to celebrate embarking on its 60th year. So sit back with a glass of Old Crow whiskey and enjoy the stories, tales, and milestones of the only association representing the EW community around the world. To help us with this journey, we cite from the book, AOC Legacy, The First 50 Years, and we hear from Lifetime Achievement Awardee, AOC Silver Medal winner, Technology Hall of Fame inductee, and longtime old crow, Paul Westcott. I started my career in electronic warfare in August of 1967. I was a co-op engineering student at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Prior to graduation, I was uh, drafted into the U.S. Army with a degree in electrical engineering and a job at the Air Force for two years. I went in the Army in November of 1970, went to my basic training at Fort Knox, advanced training at Fort Belvoir in Virginia, and then my overseas assignment was uh, near Stuttgart, Germany. When I got out in 72, I went back to my position at the Air Force, picked up a graduate degree in engineering and an MBA I was very active in the local chapter of the Old Crows, the Kitty Hawk chapter. I had almost every position you can imagine on the board, with the sole exception of president. I feel myself very fortunate to have had the career that I do. To understand why a small cadre of electronic warfare officers, or EWOs, believed it was important to form an association in 1964, we go back to World War II. Electronic warfare really came of age in World War II, primarily in the Eastern Theater, more so than the Western Theater. The war between England 
and the rest of the Allied powers and Germany was very secretive with respect to electronic warfare. I believe the two earliest incidences of electronic warfare were two things. Number one, the British jamming the coastal radars on the edge of France. And number two, the use of window, which is known as chaff nowadays, as the bombers attacked the German places. And the windows, although it could not keep out the direction the bombers were coming from, it totally obliterated the range. So any Axis power aircraft trying to go up and get them either had a lot of fuel or they had no idea where they were coming from. They knew the direction, but that's all. And that was probably the first two uses that I'm aware of of electronic warfare in large scale. You can learn more about some of the most important battles from an EW perspective by listening to the History of Crows Episode 3, Battle of the Beams. However, it is widely accepted that the first large-scale use of electronic warfare in World War II was during the Battle of Britain and the U.S. Allied bombing raids over Europe. The Allied countermeasure operators used the codename RAVENS and employed receivers and transmitters to monitor and jam threat frequencies. Why they became known as RAVENS in the beginning is up for debate. One story is that during a press conference, Prime Minister Winston Churchill was asked how Britain planned to defeat the impending attack by the Germans. He allegedly responded that some of their efforts were quote-unquote as black as the raven. The United States also trained personnel in all facets of this new technology, which they called Electronic Countermeasures, or ECM. But at first, they too used the codename Raven to assure some measure of security about the existence of EW operations and technology. Mel Jackson was the first officer in the U.S. assigned to ECM duties in the U.S. Army Air Corps and he would serve in many ECM staff positions during the war and would be instrumental in establishing the Association of Old Crows. The mission of Ravens in World War II, most notably in Britain and the U.S., was essential for defeating Axis powers across Europe. Following World War II, there was a rush to discharge military and personnel. Unfortunately, therefore, when the Soviets occupied Eastern Europe, there was a dearth of personnel, experience, and equipment in place that could locate Soviet radar systems and develop countermeasures and electronic counter-countermeasures. The U.S. conducted what they termed ferret missions, which began in October 1942. These were the first electronic signals intelligence missions flown during World War II and later in the early stages of the Cold War. These ferret missions used slightly more sophisticated equipment and saw improved results in both the Pacific and European theaters. The Army Security Agency established a ground presence in many of these places surrounding the Soviet Union and contributed a steady flow of important information. Ferret operations in the late 1940s would also eventually lead to the establishment of the Strategic Air Command now a major operating command in the United States Air Force, which would set up a school to train personnel sorely needed for the Raven specialty. A group of Raven operators were directed to establish a Strategic Air Command flying course in ECM operations at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey. Frank Fotagio says in his book, Non Vita Bunt, a history of the first 25 years of the Association of Old Crows, quote unquote, one of the students at this school, John W. Pulp, got in the habit of referring to his instructors, mostly Ravens who had seen action in World War II, as those old crows. 
The label caught on, and soon everyone was using the Crow designation, especially since the use of Raven as an official code word had expired with the end of World War II and the reorganization of the defense establishment. From the beginning, the Old Crows have always been a fraternal order. Originally not formally organized, they did keep in touch and got together infrequently to commiserate on the latest happenings in the world of EW. No doubt many of their complaints would still resonate today. Old Crows have always been in the forefront of any conflict or military operation. There has always been a shortage of EW personnel and systems to meet their high demand in combat. And too few military leaders were able to truly understand what Old Crows did. Therefore, EW always lacked the proper advocacy. Then, in 1953, Mel Jackson, now a retired ECM operator, had an idea to establish an association to bring Old Crows together on a more regular basis and support the community. His early efforts remained relatively informal. He printed membership certificates and minted some military coins. Mel would pass these out to Old Crows he encountered and with whom he worked. Like any military organization, the Old Crows needed a logo, so Mel created one based on the Aircraft Radiation Laboratory, ARL, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. During the 1950s, many versions of that Crow logo appeared. Then, some Strategic Air Command ECM organizations added a motto that the AOC still holds close today. That motto is non vitabunt, which translates from the Latin to, quote-unquote, they shall see. Throughout the 1950s, Mel Jackson was successful in giving this group of old crows an identity. But since the group would remained informal, participation would wax and wane. During the same time, the United States found itself fighting another war in the Pacific, this time between the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and the Republic of Korea, more commonly known as North and South Korea, which had formed out of the Soviet and American occupation zones following World War II. China and the Soviets supported North Korea, and the United States, primarily U.S. and U.K. forces, backed South Korea. Then came the Korean War, not conflict in my opinion. And although the activities, I'm sure, were active, there was not as much publicity associated with electronic warfare in Korea. Through the 1950s and early 1960s, as the Korean War reached a stalemate and the Soviet Union developed new, more capable radars for fire control and surveillance, the mission of Old Crows continued to rapidly evolve. New jamming capabilities were designed. Ferret missions commenced in earnest, and new countermeasures were developed to protect U.S. forces. By 1963, the first jamming pod was developed for aircraft, the QRC-160. This gave a quick reaction capability to large aircraft because it could be shifted from aircraft to aircraft with a change in mission. It was followed by the ALQ-31, for fighter jets and other systems followed closely behind. Then in 1964, the United States accused North Vietnam of using torpedo boats to attack the USS Maddox in the Gulf of Tonkin. The Maddox was conducting a signals collection mission in the Gulf on August 2nd when radar operators saw three small torpedo boats closing on the destroyer. Shots were exchanged and the boats were driven off. The incident formed the basis of the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which committed major U.S. forces to the war in Vietnam. When the Vietnam War started, that's where electronic warfare, in my opinion, really came of age. They had a tremendous amount of jammers and receivers. They had special reconnaissance aircraft 
that did nothing but listen and get all the information they could about the threat systems. Obviously, the penetrating aircraft, the number one thing they wanted to do was to knock out the AAA and surface-to-air missiles and air-to-air missiles from keeping their attack from being successful. In Vietnam, we had the ability to jam the radars. Uh, the biggest problem was, again, the azimuth, trying to keep the azimuth information away. Once the missile was launched, we employed two types of jamming. One was an uplink jammer that tried to jam the uplink of the missile, and the other was a downlink jammer that tried to jam the information from the missile to the weapon control system on the ground. That was very, very intensive, and we had support aircraft. Through all these events, a close-knit fraternity developed in the Air Force. It was out of this setting that Colonel Frank Whitry, Lieutenant Colonel John Pulp, and other crews at Strategic Air Command Headquarters began talking about having some sort of formal periodic gathering of the crows. Before they started the AOC in 1964, the Strategic Air Command started a group called Mock Crows. Mock Crows. And they were the people in the bombers that used the onboard receivers and transmitters to successfully jam radars. By the time the organization got started with a backyard barbecue uh, to having the first formal convention, it grew phenomenally. Originally, there were probably somewhere around three dozen to 40 chapters. Everybody submitted their charter to the national. The early meetings of these electronic warfare specialists were framed around the informal organization that Mel Jackson had created. Meeting notices, as well as meeting minutes, carried the heading, The Association of Old Crows. The first annual AOC banquet was scheduled for September 9, 1964, at the Shoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C. At the banquet, a proposed constitution and bylaws were circulated to form a formal organization. Out of this banquet, the Association of Old Crows was born. United States Air Force Colonel Frank Whitry was elected as AOC's first president. The original mission statement of the Old Crows stated, quote unquote, the Association of Old Crows is formed to foster and preserve the art of electronic warfare, to promote the exchange of ideas and information in this field, to recognize and advance contributions to electronic warfare, to document the history of electronic warfare, and to commemorate fittingly the memory of fellow crows. From there, the first local clubs or chapters were chartered. The Kitty Hawk chapter actually was the first chapter to submit their charter to the national. However, the Capitol Club controlled the AOC board of directors. And so they sat on that charter from the Kitty Hawk chapter used a lot of it to replicate what they wanted, submitted it and claimed the first chapter as Capital Club, and then thereafter the Kitty Hawk chapter was number two. There was an awful lot of them after that. Today, many of them continue to thrive, including the Capital Club in Washington, D.C., the Kitty Hawk chapter in Dayton, Ohio, the Magoo Crows Club in Camarillo, California, and the Pikes Peak Roost in Colorado Springs, Colorado. As the United States entered the Vietnam conflict, U.S. electronic warfare capabilities would be put to the test. One significant achievement after another would soon make electronic warfare, as the Wild Weasel motto states, a first-in, last-out capability for U.S. warfighting. 
By 1966, just two short years after its birth, the AOC had grown to 2,300 members. Its early publication, Crow Calls, would eventually turn into the Electronic Warfare magazine, and now today is the Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance, the JET. The AOC would continue to grow into the 1990s with more than 25,000 members. As the late Craig Johnson, a former electronic warfare officer and AOC president, stated, quote-unquote, one of the things that has stuck with me all these years is the reason I became involved in the first place. It was obvious to some that if you are trying to promote some new way of doing things, you have to be able to describe its value in terms that are understandable to the people who are making critical decisions. The AOC, as it embarks on its 60th year, continues its mission as the leading advocate for electromagnetic warfare across the military and industry, both in the United States and around the globe. Mr. Dan Graves told me when I first joined, he said, when you join, you will sleep better at night for having joined the AOC. It is a camaraderie as well as a technical organization. If you took either one of those two elements out of the AOC, it would not be the organization it is today. This podcast is brought to you by the Association of Old Crows. Learn more at crows.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.